everyone. Um, I'd like to, um, yeah, delighted actually, to um, introduce you to Marika Syed. Um, she's um, she's a, a customer of ours who we've known for a while now. Um, she has a brand called Snackzilla um, and um, she's doing incredibly well. She works very hard. <laughs> um, and um, we thought we'd, we'd this morning and ask her a few questions about um, about the, how the business is going and how she set about um, creating it. We also specifically want to talk about HFSS um, because uh, um, when Marika put together her brand, it's very much been focused on um, healthy food for children. Um, and obviously, as we all know, that's expanding out um, to the point where it's becoming quite a significant motivator at the moment. Um, and um, you know, ultimately with a lot of these things like sugar, for instance, and drinks, it will become a hygiene factor in product development, I think. So um, I'd like to introduce you to Marika. Marika, um, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to start a food business? Um, God, it feels so long ago. It was three years ago. I um, had finished my job. I was the COO of a startup. So it was very stressful. I'd been doing that for four years, running this business and had grown it, but really wanted to do something different. Um, but that business was in the luxury world, in events, mm -hmm. nothing to do with food whatsoever. But I, re I left and I knew I wanted to do something on my own. This was, that business was with a few other people. And uh, I thought, right, there must be uh, a gap in the market somewhere. There must be something that I can link up to what I'm passionate about and what I know about. And what I loved was cooking. I loved baking in particularly. Mm -hmm. um, I also have two children who are 10 and seven. And at the, that time, the, a problem started arising in my household, which was what do I give them in their lunch boxes and after school and after swimming because as snacks, because uh, my kids suddenly had grown out of baby and toddler products. Yeah. Like uh, a bare yo-yo suddenly didn't fill them up. Like it would be inhaled. They wouldn't even unroll the thing. It would literally just be in one bite. And uh, organics, OT bars, they felt were too babyish. And I was like, well, what do you give them when your kids are like, you know, in primary school, they're no longer, you're no longer shopping on the baby and toddler aisle. No. And I realized there wasn't really a brand that kind of owned that older kid space. And my kids were wanting products like Maryland cookies, ice gems, Oreos. And uh, they didn't want bananas and cucumber sticks at school pickup for some reason. Oh. And I just realized there was just a, a kind of, yeah, it was a big kind of smack in the face. Wow, there, there is a real problem here that parents are going through, not just me. Um, and that's when it all started. The idea was seeded and I kind of went with it. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. I know the same problem actually. They pile out of primary school and, and are absolutely horrible until they have something um, something inside them. Um, but there are other mums at the school gate. There's still mums in my son's class who arrive with like a whole cucumber and the kids like chomp on it. But this, this was not my kids, right? This is not my kids. My kids were like, where's the Oreos, you know? No, um, so I, I just felt that there needed to be something in between. There was like a gulf between 
you know, healthy snacks and like what kids really wanted, or a lot of kids really wanted. And there was nothing in the middle that was really branded for them. Yes. But met the nutritional needs that that parents wanted for their kids. So what what do you, you know, and I did six months of research uh, as my starting point, talking to other mums, making sure that this wasn't just a problem that was affecting me. And so luckily kind of through schools and through different groups that my kids were involved in, I had a big kind of market, you know, survey that I could do. Mm -hmm. And I found that it was just so disparate, the products that parents were giving, you know, it ranges from parents giving their kids Weight Watchers bars, um, raisins, cereal bars, biscuits, rice cakes, dried fruit snacks. And um, yeah, it was just so, you know, random that there was definitely showed that there was space in the market. Okay, so how did you, um, so obviously I know that you started with your grandmother, your grandmother? Great grandmother's recipe. Yeah. Um, for oat cookies. As yeah. A starting point. Yeah. What did that, what did that look like as a, as a starting point? Well, when I realised there was this kind of gap, uh, I was thinking, right, what do kids love on the whole? What do they all love? And cereal bars there was just so many cereal bars on the market Mm -hmm. I just thought where's the gap where's the space there it's so saturated um and then my I'm a biscuit addict absolutely like I can eat a whole pack of hobnobs in one sitting like love 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 biscuits and um that got me thinking more about biscuits and what are the kids biscuit brands what are the healthy biscuit brands and there were brands like Nairns do their oat biscuits Mm-hmm. but very much targeted you know at an adult market um and then I just kept playing on my mind biscuits biscuits and then my great-grandmother have hasn't had an oat cookie recipe that I had grown up making and we all loved it in my family it's really simple it was flour oats sugar and butter in equal quantities so easy um and it's delicious. And then I bought that recipe to you, Mel. <laughs> and I said, how can we make this healthier? And that kind of started the journey. Yeah. So for children's products, um, there's a very specific um, piece of um, guidance to work for in order to claim that their product is healthy. Um, and it's called nutrient profiling. Um, and specifically, um, there are types of nutrients that are considered to be the bad guys. So calories, um, saturates, fat, and so on, um, which you get um, you get points for. And then there are the good guys where you get uh, that you get around protein, things like fruit and vegetable content, fiber, and so on. And the system is that you look at your recipe, you look at the nutrient profile, and then you tot up your good guy points, tot up your bad guy points, and take one set against the other, um, and you end up with a score. And if it's over a certain level, you can't claim it's healthy. If it's under a certain level, you can claim it's healthy. Um, so do you remember? Do you remember what your initial recipe looked like, Marika? Um, oh, um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the the original recipe is just off the chart. I mean, it, it, there's no way it could be claimed as healthy. And I think that kind of took us on a journey of thinking, right? What are the main points? parts of that original recipe that needed to stand and for me that was two things it was the oats because you know we know they're they're filling they're not too expensive 
they give great texture, um, obviously good for gut health, and they get the fiber points. And then the other thing with the original recipe was the texture of it. Yeah. So this was a soft baked oat buttery cookie originally. And it was that softness and chewiness that well, that kind of was so popular with my family and with kids. And that's where there was definitely nothing else on the market that was kind of had that texture and consistency. So that's something else that I kind of said to you, wasn't it Mel? That has yeah. to stay. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, with a lot of these things, because you have a starting point that's here from a nutritional point of view and an end goal over here, um, it's very much a case of trying to decide what what the things you cannot live without are. So the absolute must haves. Um, and in this case, things like the, the texture specifically, um, it's it, you know, it's it's relatively unusual compared to a lot of competitors that tend to be, you know, hard, harder products or just a different kind of structure. Mm. Um, but then also saying, actually, do you know what? These are the things I can compromise on. Obviously, you know, butter content, for instance, um, but they're the obvious ones, but there's a sort of a whole, there tends to be a gray area somewhere in the middle of, you know, what 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 is okay? Um, you know, it might not be the top thing on the list and it, it's definitely not the thing that I can get rid of, but um, uh, in terms of things like ingredient choice, yeah you know what does it look like on the label yeah and some of those things have changed completely now compared to where I started and I was like no that's that's the red line there we're not going down that route um so for example and I think you have to go through that journey to come to that end decision but at the beginning I remember saying to you I want to use brown rice syrup mm -hmm. I just I love it I love it as an ingredient and uh, it looks great on the label um I love its consistency. I love its its taste. Um, it just gives it that really naturalness. Uh, and now <laughs> brown rice syrup is now gone. And now we're using um, golden syrup as our as our sweetener along with inulin. So yeah, I mean, I would never have said agree to that at the beginning, but you know, you've got to go through that journey and, and realize, go through those mistakes to kind of come out at the right place, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Our, our initial testing at Frog Hop was um, obviously we spent a lot of time looking at what the texture looks like, and that's you know you have to be able to handle the the raw product in production, mm -hmm. um, and then what it looks like on cooking. Um, you know, with cookies, they can <laughs> they can kind of do anything from like a very large splat to standing absolutely upright. I know one or two of two of you on the webinar this morning know this very well as well from different scenarios. Um, but um, also, um, you know, it does take multiple iterations sometimes to get these things right, particularly if every move you make in the recipe then impacts your nutrient profiling quite heavily. Yeah. Now, I mean, I should stop at this point actually and say that Marika's actually done so well that she left Trog up with a compliant product and has then gone on to do further tweaking to make it even better. Um, what what drove the extra extra work, Marika? The extra work was based on a number of things. One, most importantly, customer feedback. So we launched in January this year with our original recipe, and launched you know quite a soft launch, direct to consumer, Amazon, through some wholesalers, mm -hmm. and uh, we were getting some feedback about. Um, uh, aftertastes that were coming through uh, so that's something I wanted to fix 
the second thing was we joined I joined the good food fund which I can talk about in a minute a bit more but for, for that they really pushed me in terms of trying to get change for life accreditation because we've done a lot of research over the last six months with uh parents particularly mums and particularly in lower income areas yeah. and change for life logo is actually been a really strong campaign by the government in terms of healthy eating choices for parents and kids and the government has put a lot of time and money actually into schools particularly in curriculum about teaching kids and their families about healthy eating choices and this logo this change for life accreditation has really kind of really worked it's really worked um and so to get that accreditation i needed to be under 100 calories and our original recipe it's a 30 gram cookie so it's quite substantial because it was you know aimed for you know eight nine year olds um it was about 110 115 calories so i had to get it to 99 calories if i wanted to go for this accreditation so yeah, those were the two main driving factors of, of doing another iteration this summer. Great, that, that's pretty amazing actually. It's um, it's actually very difficult, particularly in an area where most of the products, as you rightly pointed out, on the market, you know, whether it's Maryland cookies or otherwise, are actually quite a way away from the product that you've ended up with in terms of nutritional profile. But still, um, still aiming to have something that's great tasting and great to eat. Um. Do you find that do you find that children are almost harsher critics than adults um, in testing your product? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, children will say it like it is. I mean, they <laughs> definitely speak the truth to you. But I find that kids taste buds are far more adaptable. Right. So when you get them young, you can completely change their taste buds very quickly in terms of what kind of level of sweetness hits the spot um so I find that for some adults they eat the product and they're like just just not sweet enough because they have got this psychological expectation of a biscuit of a soft baked cookie as being something very decadent buttery that kind of sugary hit um and kids don't have that expectation so much and if they do it's it's after the second bite you know it's gone they're, they're loving it so yeah. Yeah, it's the kids will definitely say, you know, I like this one, I don't like that flavour. Mm. But they're much more adaptable to kind of reducing their sugar. It's great that you can get this in actually for them quite early in life so that you know they become used to it. They're with an, with other products that have been around for a very long time. Um it's sort of it's general generally understood that if you make if you make under a 10% change in something like the sugar level, most people can't pick it up but there's there's you know you can imagine the majority of products out in the market um particularly for adults actually there have been schemes things like um baked beans if i can take beans as an example um there have been various schemes where the producers are literally implementing a small change even on a whether it's monthly or year or not monthly sorry a few months or a few years basis to gradually eke down things because adults are less <laughs> adaptable yeah. and if it's a brand that they've known and loved forever you know it's uh the minute you make a change even if it's for the positive um it does mean that um you will you will get complaints regardless because you're you're messing about with something that people know and love but if you start with an audience that are younger earlier 
that has to be much better. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. So how have you, um, um, I don't know a lot about the Good Food Fund actually, would you like to explain a bit about how it works? Yeah, so the Good Food Fund was uh, started this year. So I'm in the first cohort. So it's a combination of um, a funding available <clears throat> from a venture capital, and the money is coming through from big society capital, uh, which is kind of government-backed money, really. Um, mm -hmm. They are working with Guys and St. Thomas's NHS charity mm -hmm. um, and Mission Ventures. So Mission Ventures are um, a gr group of people who are kind of all ex-food founders. So the founder of Covent Garden Soup Co, Plum Baby, Ape Snacks, and they kind of um, create the programme of support that goes along with each brand. So there were seven brands chosen for the first cohort, and we are all brands that are trying to uh, reduce childhood obes obesity, really, in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And each brand goes through a specific uh, targeted program of support. So for some of the brands involved, they're already quite far ahead. You know, they're already in nationwide retailers. Right. Uh, Jim Jams and Naturelli, you know, they're already in Tesco's and Waitrose and Sainsbury's and Morrison's. Mm -hmm. uh, so they are having kind of having different support to me who had just started and had just, I had a, uh, a product on the market, but it was very early days and they wanted me to make tweaks to it. Right. And there's other people on the programme who uh, were even earlier they had didn't have a manufacturer yet it was just kind of a, a nub of an idea so yeah we're all in very different stages it's been really fascinating uh so I've, it's been six months of support now and a lot has changed right. <laughs> that's, that's really good I yeah everyone does also it, it's being in the program but also seeing other people in the program as well can be quite supportive yeah because you're definitely learning especially from those who are one two steps ahead of you it's learning from them that's the most valuable yes quite indeed um okay now that's really useful thank you um one of the things i wanted to ask you about briefly actually is um is manufacturing um you know it could be quite a challenge to find the right manufacturing for your product and then work with them. <laughs> have, any, have you got any top tips having been through the process oh i don't know i mean so i have a uk manufacturer and i, I that was something that was really important for me. Okay. And I'm so glad I kind of stuck to my guns on that because especially with Brexit, uh, everyone I know who's got, you know, EU manufacturers, it, it just sounds like a nightmare. So, and it also means that I can go there. I mean, it's not, it's not down the road, it's in Yorkshire and I'm in London, so it's not that easy, but um, yeah. I can pop down for the day really and, mm. and be there. So in terms of quality control and really working with them and creating a partnership, that's what I wanted from the beginning. So I must've gone and visited like 20 different bakeries all over the UK, spoke to many more than that. And this was the one, it's a family run bakery it was BRC A rated. It was a nut free site because they already uh, do a lot of products for schools and colleges. Um, right. So it ticked all those boxes. And most importantly, they were willing to work with me as a complete novice, as a complete startup with just an idea. Uh, they could see the potential in it. So mm -hmm. it's very much been working together. And I think if you can find that kind of magic combination, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I think I something that resonates quite with me actually and I, I see this in other people that you know potentially have 
different kinds of relationships with a contract manufacturer is something that does need working at like most things um and it, it could be I mean, ultimately it could be um relationship with your retailers or whatever but um it's um it's important to to keep that going you know it's a, one of many partnerships as part of doing business yeah um, which is you know it's I, I would advise anyone that's at the start of their process not not to go into it on the basis that you think you can sort of drop the product in and walk away mm. um, it does have to be a, a rolling activity like like most things um yeah. but uh yeah I think it's, it sounds like you also found a good one which is which is great um in terms of, um, obviously, we're very, we're very focused at the moment on a potential general rollout of HFSS. Mm. Are you are you seeing much activity with the other companies that you're sort of working alongside with at the moment? So I think only out of out of the seven of us, only two of us are currently HFSS. If I'm if I'm correct, maybe it's yeah. three. Uh, so not everyone is compliant yet. So people are kind of figuring out how they're going to manoeuvre around that and what they're going to do about that. Uh, it's really interesting because it is early days in the proposed government proposals. I don't know how many of you have read have read the proposals. So the government is proposing to um, uh, change advertising on products. Mm -hmm. So restrict advertising for products that are not HFSS compliant and also restrict promotional activity on products that aren't compliant. And uh, that's just gonna be, I don't know how it's gonna come through because for the big brands, especially, yeah. um, you know, Nestle, Unilever, Mars, uh, if they cannot promote those kind of junk food, unhealthy products, it's really gonna impact their bottom line and also supermarkets bottom line. Yeah. So it's gonna be fascinating um, to kind of see over the next few months. But from what I'm hearing on the grapevine is that the government are really, really trying to push this through. They, they really gonna stick to it. So great for me. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You're you're there first. Um, yeah, we we work with some bigger companies as well, and they're yes yeah, starting to look at current product ranges and thinking actually we need to do something about this. Sorry, I've just realised it just dropped an acronym, and I'm still working on my food industry acronym without explaining what it was. So HFSS, I think Jen asked a question, um, specifically refers to food and drink products that are high in saturated fat, salt, or sugar. Um, and that's according to the Department of Health's nutrient profiling yeah. model. They're using the same nutrient profile model that we use with, you know, when Ofcom developed it with, with yeah. the Department for Health all those years ago that we, for kids' food. So they're using that model. So it means, you know, hardly any products meet that nutritional profile model, hardly any. So everyone is going to have to reformulate. If they want to be able to promote and advertise their product so yeah which is interesting depending on what kind of product you make um you know because some products things like you know if you're doing i don't know a non-dairy spread for instance actually that's you know that could potentially be quite a challenge but that not all things are designed to be used um as a as a complete thing that you eat they may they may be something you use a little bit of so you know there are some there's some wrinkles within that um for sure but uh yeah it's uh it's going to be interesting to see how far it gets rolled out actually across products yeah. um yeah. specifically um yeah so so i hope that answered your question jen um all right um yeah, without at the risk of um 
over the risk of running on for too long. Um, can I can I ask about your um, your future plans for Snackzilla? Have you got any plans for new products or formats or more nutritional change? Our priority for 2021 is uh, supermarkets, uh, grocery. So we are in talks with, with a national grocery chain mm-hmm. um, about launching Snackzilla, awesome. uh, probably more summer next year. Mm-hmm. That would be really exciting. Um, and then focus again in terms of sales strategy, focus again on back on food service once that comes back online with okay. families going out again. Uh, again hopefully spring summer next year Mm -hmm. Um, and then in terms of the product so we have been rebranding and we are launching that with our new uh, Snackzilla 2.0 the new recipe which uh, like I said it's got a touch of golden syrup in it so it gives it a more caramelly note it's also got a tiny bit of salt in it so it kind of balances out the sweetness Mm -hmm. Um, and it's also now 50% less sugar so we've managed to get the sugar down by using inulin. Mm-hmm. Um, and what else? Oh, it's now high in fiber. Before it was a source of fiber. So everything, nutritionals have got better. It's 99 calories. We've got, got going for change for life accreditation. And the biggest thing is that we've actually be able to bring the cost down by reformulating. So it makes the product much more accessible to the mass market. So that is launching in January, February. And then we will start work on um, a new flavours to add to the range. Fantastic. That's amazing. Okay. All right. I've got a few questions just um, just before we finish, if that's all right. Um, let me have a quick look. Uh, okay. Question from Zach, actually. Uh, thank you very much for sharing your experience. Um, his question is actually, why, why didn't you venture into the high streets like Holland and Barrett um, initially? straight away because I knew I wanted to test it first Mm -hmm. and I knew there was going to have to be changes I just knew it and I was I'm so glad that we aren't you know it's so easy with launching with with wholesalers and Amazon I I, you know we we've had to reprint we had issues with our uh, we were in originally in compostable wrappers which was so uh, we had to to ditch that get new packaging you know there's over this last year since launching so many changes have happened and um, we've been able to kind of adapt and change and work really flexibly because we are not in a massive supermarket and we've got that flexibility Um, and I kind of wanted to also have the data to be able to present to them to show customer feedback uh you know rate of sale to really give a good case to them about why you know they needed to stock this product so we're now after a year of being on the market we now got all that info and we're ready with a really strong kind of pitch deck ready to go to those supermarkets oh that's great that's a great answer um okay another thing quickly on that is when you launch into a supermarket you also need to have funding available to make that uh activation work because People aren't going to, you know, you will get delisted at Sainsbury's or wherever uh, yeah. if you haven't got that rate of sale. And yeah. you can't achieve that rate of sale without having some decent kind of marketing money, really, to invest into it. And right. I didn't. And I knew I needed some time to kind of raise money and do all that side of things as well. OK, well, that's great. Actually, you've answered someone else's question from Jen. Uh, if you were uh, if you had to seek funding from the beginning to launch. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that yeah. answers so that. I did, I did raise money originally. Uh, to start so um, about a hundred thousand pounds 
to get me going to do all the branding to do the formulation to, mm -hmm. to create product over the last year and then we are planning on doing another funding round this year or okay. 2021. okay fantastic um right one more question then i think we'll um we'll call it a day uh question from uh shalini did the um did the Good Food Fund help with reformulation and do they accept people that haven't started manufacturing? So, not, they didn't help with the formulation. That was my responsibility to get done, but they gave me steering on, you know, what the nutritionals had to be. Yes. Um, and for that, for me, from them, it was really about that 99 calories and the good um, change for life accreditation mm -hmm. and then and did they accept yes yeah, so those, those there are people on the uh, good food fund first cohort who haven't uh, who haven't started manufacturing yet right right okay that's really helpful thank you um okay i think we'll we'll call it call it time thank you ever so much marika really appreciate you taking the time um i know you've been through quite a journey and i hope it's really really helpful to the people on the call to uh to understand some of the, the wrinkles along the way. Um, I would, from my personal experience, you know, Marika's got one of those amazing, um, amazing um, skills, I guess, if you can call it that, of, of stick with itness <laughs> and actually not being shy of working hard and making continuous change. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's no mean feat. And I think the more, uh, more, more you can focus on it as you go along, the better. Thanks again to Marika for taking the time to talk to us. You can find out more about Snackzilla and all of their delicious, healthy cookies at www.snackzilla.co.uk. There'll be a new Food Founders interview every month. To listen to other episodes or subscribe to in your favourite podcast player, go to www.froghop.co.uk forward slash podcast or search for Food Founders interviews wherever you get your podcast from. Thanks again.